You're listening to There Ought to Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. All right, I'm in. Great. Hey, listeners. I... Let's just jump right into uh, an ongoing topic, the Hyundai Kia thefts and how you can steal a Hyundai and a Kia. Look, first what you do is you go onto the TikTok and you just search for how do I steal a Hyundai Kia? I don't know if you can even search TikTok. I've never been on TikTok. I don't know. But this article in Vice talks about cities around the U.S. are facing risk. Facing a staggering new normal when it comes to stolen cars, and I'm facing a staggering amount of sibilance every time I say an S word. Uh, the example they use is Chicago used to have about 850 cars stolen per month. <laughs> and look, I put an S at the end of that. How did that happen? Now it consistently has more than 2,000, an average of 86 cars stolen every single day. This is crazy. And the vast majority are Honda and Kias. They've, yeah, they, that's they, a. They, they're the article is great i mean because what they're doing is sending out public information requests to i think they said a hundred cities they're still in the process of collecting the data and what you see generally on every chart is a massive spike in thefts somewhere around the spring of 2022 and typically you'll see a, a large spike, you know, more than way more than double. You're talking many times um, the rate of theft in, in, in a couple of months. And then the, the thefts drop, but they don't drop back to the old normal. They're still way up. So what what the, what the um, article is pointing out is that we may not ever see, or at least for the next few years, or at least until Hyundai and Kia get this fix out to all of their owners, we may not may not see these theft rates drop to what it was before, which is very concerning. Well, they also point out that the thefts are associated with lots of secondary crimes, not only people just driving their cars away, but also with uh, people driving too fast, people who don't have licenses, speeding around. Um, thefts, I guess some murders are associated with it as well, or people using yeah. these cars without authority. Um, so it's not only the problem of the cars themselves and the property crimes associated with it, but there are a lot of other downstream violent crimes that are being associated with the free availability of free transportation for people who really shouldn't have it. So Hyundai Key in the past, they, you know, we've kind of joked about how their, their fix, their first fix was, Hey, we'll send you the club. That silly thing that goes across your steering wheel from like night, late or uh, 1980s, early 90s infomercials. Uh, they stopped doing that. And then they had something else where we'll upgrade some software. If you like beg, what's the latest what's going on there for, for. Owners. I mean, the latest is the same. It's the status quo. It's Hyundai and Kia are still, you know, offering as a, you know, an upgrade, a software upgrade, a, a customer satisfaction program, um, this software package. But so far, at least as of last month, they had only gotten it to about one fifth of the vehicles that are subject to these types of thefts. So, 
they've got a long way to go. And if that number doesn't, you know, increase from 20 to 80 or so, I'm not sure if we're going to see these thefts go down appreciably in these places. I mean, right now you have, I mean, it looks to be like, you know, hundreds of individuals running around these cities that know how to easily steal these vehicles. And, um, we think that there needs to be a lot more done, both by Hyundai and Kia. We think NHTSA needs to take another look at this and figure out if they have the authority to make this a recall. And, you know, we think we want to make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future. We need standards in place that will prevent this. Um, and then one other note on the, on, the, on the article that I found really intriguing, if you look at the cities, you know, it looks like somebody had the TikTok hack or knew about this in Denver long before these other cities came around to it. Um, I'd be really interested to see if there are any other cities that match that Denver pattern once all, you know, all 100 cities have reported their data to um, the motherboard who wrote the article. I don't know, but the article mentions towards the end that about 2 million of the 9 million vehicles vulnerable to the theft cannot receive the software update. And as of July, about 5 million vehicles still remain vulnerable to theft, either because they haven't gotten the software update or they were not eligible for some reason. And there have been reports in Buffalo and Washington, D.C. of vehicles with the software update still being stolen. So, okay, so I go and I get the upgrade if I qualify for it, and they're still stealing my car? Yeah. So I uh, consumers are just kind of you're just uh, and wait and I remember we mentioned once in the past that some auto insurance companies are like yeah we're not covering these vehicles anymore is that still an issue Well it that could still be an issue it's not it, it's not where it was in January before I mean I, I believe that the insurance companies coming out and announcing that um is what spurred Hyundai and Kia to go ahead and get the software out and you know our opinion, I think, is that the software was, you know, rushed and, it, you know, we know that it's not compatible with some other, like if you have an aftermarket security system, there's no guarantee with it, that it's compatible with that. You know, the software hasn't been validated against all of these aftermarket systems. And it, it there have been circumstances where consumers have had the software installed. They mentioned DC and somewhere else, but we've probably heard of three or four or five similar reports um from consumers who had the software installed thought they were doing the right thing and then someone used the TikTok hack on their car so that's concerning as well you know if the software and the little sticker you get with it to put on your window to show the potential thieves that you've got software in your car if the software doesn't work that sticker doesn't work and you've got to you know you got to start over so this issue is just you know right now Hyundai has done very little other than give folks a software patch and do a couple of events, PR events um, to promote the software update, but they're not achieving any real growth in the numbers of vehicles that have, that have uh, had the patch installed. So, you know, it's a really difficult situation. All the burden here is being thrust onto owners and local police departments and, you know, the victims of some of these stolen vehicles while, you know, Hyundai here are doing a limited amount to resolve it. And, you know, DOT and NHTSA are, you know, kind of wiping their hands of the issue and pretending that they can't do anything here. So I, right now there aren't really any good answers. I don't expect this data to, to, trend to change a whole lot going forward or to drop a lot because we just don't see these fixes being put in place 
This is a problem over a certain time period, right? Are the currently being delivered Kias and Hyundais have the same problem? No. So we know that they're going to be going out of service, and that's really what's going to help here is these vehicles breaking down and leaving the leaving the streets. Um, if nothing else is done soon, uh, it's what is the, basically uh, what is every the vehicle period? they made from 2011 to 2021 or so. Okay, so that 10 year period. So, uh, a couple of questions Do I need to have the TikTok app on my phone when I try to steal one of these cars? Okay, I don't know. No. You stop <laughs> teaching teenagers how to steal cars, Anthony. Uh, you know, back in my day. Um, and the other question is, okay, so NHTSA and the DOT are falling flat on their face when it comes down to an issue of essentially cybersecurity in cars. Is that is that fair to say? So That's how we describe it. I mean, there, if you can't get on top of an issue like this and prevent people from dying in the streets, then what's going to happen when there's a real cybersecurity issue that involves software and vehicles moving? How are you going to address that? Um, and, and, you know, there, well, I think the real crux of the problem is right now they're saying because there's an intervening criminal act here, they don't have a responsibility to conduct this as a recall. But we know that cybersecurity, by definition, you're going to have a hacker or an intervening criminal act to take over these vehicles. So uh, it's, an, it's, it's a troubling to me that in the future, you know, NHTSA is setting a course now that suggests that they won't be able to respond to cyber attacks that endanger Americans. Well, it's also interesting to see the magnitude of this problem without an actor who is actually trying to make it happen. So, you know, and this is an accidental apocalypse as far as I can tell. But it's uh, <laughs> it only points out that if there were somebody actually trying to make this happen, uh, it could have been much, much worse. There's no limit. Uh, I don't think there's any limit on what the cybersecurity hackers could do or the cyber. What is that word for those people? Cyber hackers or what are the what are the bad people called? Teenagers. Teenagers. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, maybe this is part of uh, Hyundai's practice of hiring undocumented teenage immigrants <laughs> to build their cars. Maybe they're not qualified to build the software. That's a good callback to a deep gut from an earlier episode where we talked about labor practices at their factories. Uh, but I think we know how this ends going forward. I mean, Fred, it's his mantra, which is everything will be better in the future. Except if you're at NHTSA or the DOT, you just go, ha, we've got to create a new government agency to handle this. We have Space Force. Why not have Hack Force? Ooh, Cyber Squad Force. Cyber Squad. Isn't that like, anyway, moving on. Here's a fun little one uh, from the Associated Press. New report recommends limiting police pursuits to violent crimes after rise in fatalities. That's a lot to take at once. The article starts off with aiming to curb the hundreds of deaths caused by police chases in the U.S. each year. A new report calls for police to not for police not to start a pursuit unless a violent crime has been committed and the suspect poses an imminent threat. The study founded by, funded by the U.S. Department of Justice Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, holy crap, and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, highlighted NHTSA data that shows fatal crashes involving a police pursuit peaked at 455 in 2020, the highest since at least 2007 when there are 372 fatalities. Um, so life is not like the movies. The police aren't just like, yeah, let's get them, high-speed chase. It's not like the L.A. freeway everywhere. No, there's a lot of 
procedures. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's highlighted in this report is that they're, you know, every procedure, there's no federal standards here. There's no, you know, real, there may be some guidance and this certainly would qualify as guidance because they put out a, a long list of things that that department should consider in their pursuit policies. But, you know, there's no one way that people do this uh, or that departments do this across America. And so there's some departments who have, you know, very high um, rates of pursuits and collisions and others that don't. And a lot of it depends on their policy, but it's a, it's a complex issue from the perspective of there are places that have both relaxed their policies over time, but after strengthening them, um there's so the data is kind of mixed on how you know what exactly is causing this sudden rise now maybe it's the fact that there are more hyundai's and kia's being stolen and, and fleeing from police who knows hey everybody's a comedian this week and you get down to it there's you know the there's still that was only through about 2020 i think so there's still right. i've been looking for more recent data from the last year or two and there hasn't been a lot so um of data available on the subject i guess that's one of those things i believe it goes through nits as far as process and that usually takes 18 months or so to wrap up and become final so that may be why that's not there but it's you know there there this is going to continue to happen i don't know i i watch a lot of um sometimes in my spare time watch cops and those kind of videos and <laughs> it's scary as hell watching pursuits to me because you've got a driver completely out of control weaving through innocent people or driving like a madman up the road and when you get to the point where they finally stop and you hear you know they were you know driving with a tail light out and flee because they had a suspended license you wonder if all of that really had to happen and and you know we wonder if the you know the the juice was worth the squeeze to get there and all the people you put at risk to make a small arrest like that and i think that's part of what the report focused on is that you know you really need to be sure if you're going to initiate pursuits that it is a you know a very high value dangerous subject who is an imminent threat to the community and n not do things that might threaten public safety when you're you're essentially arresting someone who doesn't pose a threat to public safety all right if the cure is worse than the disease you probably shouldn't uh, pursue the cure i think that's what this is all about it's a question of equity and you know uh, if in a sense what the high-speed pursuit is doing is it's escalating a property crime to a capital offense by you know putting the lives of the people at risk now what the policy says is that if there is an imminent risk to the public if there is evidence that there's a violent crime involved then yes that that's the proper time to have the high-speed pursuit or the pursuit of the vehicle but short of that you're not doing the, the people being pursued any favor the property crime is not as important and as imminent a threat as a violent crime and so i think that's what they're trying to do is to take the take the adrenaline out of the chase and turn it into a more analytic process that says is is this chase that we're going to pursue with all the risks associated with it is it really appropriate to the action that's initiated the chase and the other thing here like a component of that 
I think that we support here is eliminating this decision almost at all. I mean, if you can remotely immobilize a vehicle and law enforcement has that authority to do so in any type of circumstance, say that it's if, you know, a fleeing person, anything, you don't have to make a determination if they're fleeing police and they're a danger to the public. If you have a button that can immobilize their vehicle, the public safety threat is eliminated immediately. Um, I think that that's something that we we need to consider. There are a lot of privacy concerns there, but it, this situation would be resolved if the police had the ability to stop vehicles at the touch of a button. Um, and we could avoid a lot of these problems and outcomes we're seeing from the stolen Hyundai and Kia vehicles and a lot of other things if that's a technology that we can accept and that can, you know, escape some of the concerns about privacy and, and freedom of movement that we might have, you know, we're turning a little bit of power over to police and their determinations in that scenario. But I can't think of a situation I've ever been in where I needed to worry about the police stopping me in my vehicle. So uh, I'd like to point out that Michael is a law graduate and a white man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And so I don't cool. have the same perspective as the rest of the world, here, but I, I just, I, you know, it's it's it seems like the we're already going to a point where driver monitoring systems are going to be looking at the driver, determining whether the driver's paying attention, determining whether they've been drinking, inebriated, having a medical event, and stopping the car. I don't think that stopping cars when there is a criminal act taking place is a stretch from that point. And it's certainly from a safety perspective, probably a good thing. Uh, we should remind listeners, though, who are interested in autonomous vehicles, that there is no way for police to stop an autonomous vehicle for good or for bad reasons. They're just going to go and do what they're doing. And as far as we can tell, none of the autonomous vehicle developers are including in their design any capability for police to stop the vehicles on demand, much less the occupants to stop the vehicle on demand. Well, clearly, Fred, you've not been listening to the words of Mr. Kyle Vaught, CEO of GM Cruise, who says the entire purpose of their company is to make the world safer, is to save lives and to make the roads safer. It's not to recoup investors' money at all. It's all for safety. Why are you cynical? Humans are terrible drivers, according to somebody named Kyle. Okay. I'm not cynical. I'm bald. Ah, hey. uh, but real quick, as an aside, something important we glanced over. Um, Michael, you mentioned watching cops. My favorite episode of Cops was one where it was a, uh, a home invasion and the police officer went into the house to investigate and it was a hog. A hog got in someone's house and just rampaged the place. It was amazing. That sounds uh, like my house. <laughs> well, it did take place in the South. Um, <laughs> so was yeah, there a Piggly Wiggly involved. Oh, wow, look at that. How many minutes into the show and he, he gets his Piggly Wiggly fix? Hey, Piggly Wiggly, if you're listening, uh, come to autosafety.org and click on the donate button. You can click it with your hoof or, or your your pig. Yeah, it's just hoofs, right? It's only it's hoofs. A snout, there you snout. Go. Oh, a snout or a hoof. You know, we'll take uh, cash though. Uh, that'd be good. So, uh, I'm gonna jump into our, our my you know favorite person on planet earth kyle uh he uh he got to sat, sit down with some friendly people at i don't know one of these sycophantic tech fund organization nonsense where they throw very softball questions 
to Kyle, and he was asked questions about the GM Cruise origin. This is a thing we've mentioned that looks like two ugly halves of a Honda Odyssey bubbled gum together. This is a vehicle that doesn't have a steering wheel, doesn't have pedals, and that Kyle's come out and said, hey, the government's going to totally let us skip all safety regulations for these vehicles and get it out on the road. And the government's like, uh, what's that, bro? And he's like, oh, yeah, Yeah, he has it. They haven't come out and said that. So this this is a six seater vehicle with three seats facing back backwards and three seats facing forward. Very simple softball question to Kyle was like, this seems like a weird layout. Like that seems a lot of extra space. Like, why would you have all of this space here? And his response was the purpose is to encourage pooling. So now, like, if you get into, like, a, a ride share and it's a pool, like, you have to sit next to somebody side by side uncomfortably. And now with our tool, you can sit across from somebody and look at them breathing at you uncomfortably. Like, this is clearly a man who's never, one, never heard of humans, and nor he's never heard of mass transit. Like, that was, was an argument for mass transit. Uh, yeah, right? I mean, it, I think that, that a lot of us would prefer that everyone be facing forward. <laughs> The introverts. Maybe Kyle's an extrovert. No. Uh, well, he's, he's some kind of vert. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe just do it in the way that cars have been crash tested for, I don't know, however long they've been crash tested. Uh, further there on, were, he, There were some other things in there that were interesting. Uh, I guess the numbers, the projections of how much money they can make, if you compare it to like Uber, didn't make a lot of sense. Seems like they're overestimating <laughs> how much they're going to grow, how much money they're going to make. They say they're going to be ready for winter in a couple of years. That sounds like nonsense. Um, but, you know, I don't even think they're driving in thunderstorms and things yet. In the sense. No. So I, I don't know. Some of that sounded just like more aspir- aspirational tech bro stuff that mm. really, when it comes down to it, isn't going to happen or, or isn't happening on the time frames that are continually set to appease investors. Yeah. Someone asked him, was be, like, I'm, I'm sorry, Anthony. Go it's going to be really fun to see those push me pull use navigating New York City traffic every <laughs> winter day. I, I'm just looking forward to that. No, I, I mean, New York is, is flat out said this is not going to happen. Uh, but so someone, they asked a very simple question about the business model for this and the case for this. And, and he was like, well, we know we're not getting into specifics, but you can kind of do the math. And so I sat down and I kind of did the math and, uh, I, I don't see how this happens at all. I mean, GM spending over $2 billion a year on this. They've invested at least 5 billion. And right now you've got 300 cruises running around San Francisco. Uh, they've estimated that's like an annual revenue of $17 million. Sounds like a lot. Expect except when you've spent billions and billions. So he'd have to have these like running 24 hours a day in like 20 to 30, to 30 US cities around the clock. And they'd have to own the rideshare market. They would have to have Uber wouldn't exist. Lyft wouldn't exist. Taxi service wouldn't ex- exist. And all of their revenue would have to be pure profit. And then, you know, in uh, let's say maybe 10, 15 years, they break even. I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> I, I don't get it either. And what you're highlighting there is exactly why I don't get. It. I just don't see the use case that these vehicles add to to our, to our streets. You know, they're they're clogging up, adding more congestion to streets, and they're not bringing anything that that already available modes of rideshare are 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 bringing. So, do we need them there right now? I know the folks in Austin don't think so this week. Right. So yeah, crews got let loose on the streets of Austin, Texas. 
uh, because Cruz is staying in the south because there's no winter there uh, and weather is relatively mild. So Cruz's uh, vehicles broke down. A bunch of them came into an intersection at once, saw each other and went, you're ugly. No, you're ugly. Let's stop working. And they stopped working. There's a video you can find online. And uh, basically, Cruz said, according to them, the fleet ended up in a high demand area. How dare they? Which also brought with it a slew of pedestrian and passenger vehicle traffic. Hence the high demand area. Uh, one of the vehicles got stuck in an intersection while committing to a turn, thus further congesting traffic in three different directions. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, more and more cruise robotaxis flooded the narrow Austin street to meet the peak demand only to join the traffic jam. <laughs> it sounds like they're playing sardines. Do you ever play that? <laughs> yeah, as a kid, this is hilariously. It's hilarious. Unfortunately, crews could not manually reroute the vehicles quickly enough, so there was nowhere for them to go. Okay, so their whole argument is, hey, this makes traffic better. Um, this will take congestion off the road. And they get into a situation where it's like people request it. It's in an area where there's a lot of other vehicles and pedestrian traffic and their entire system collapses. And they're like, uh, well, um, uh, hey, oh, now, now, to, be fair, to be fair to them, Anthony, they said they're going to take proactive measures to fix the problem. Oh. They're proactive. They're not just regular measures. They're they're <laughs> proactive. Um, and I always thought of that as some kind of intestinal relief mechanism. But I, uh, maybe they've got something else in mind. Huh. Pro, I always thought proactive some sort of skin tincture. It is. <laughs> okay, good. But they're going to apply that, you know, these proactive measures to the, the situation. So it should be fine in the future. Everything will be better in the future. Well, maybe it's their their expanded ODD. Mm -hmm. That's what they say. They expanded ODD. How do you expand an ODD that quick, Fred? Can you expand an ODD in response to one event? I don't know. The interesting part of this to me is that this whole situation was caused by people responding to what they think their business model is, which is people calling in the self-driving vehicles when there's a need for transportation. And yeah, the, the, their system collapsed and they collapsed every other system around themselves. They're, they're like the black hole of traffic. Uh, hey, they didn't drive into wet cement this week. That's a, you know, look at that. They're getting better. Uh, the, the last, uh, highlight of, of a man called Kyle, I have to comment on is during again, this very softball interview. The interviewer said, Hey, a lot of people in San Francisco are kind of like, they're a little against this. They, city of San Francisco, they cut your fleet in half after you guys crap the bed there. Uh, and his response to this was, Well, in, in California, there was a democratic process and they voted for us to have this. Kyle neglects that the democratic process was similar to that that they have in Russia every few years or in Uganda, um, that they bought and paid for a member of the California Public Utility Commission. They, now, Anthony, yeah. they didn't buy and pay for a member of the <laughs> well, California okay, Public okay. Utilities Commission. Some, he was okay. a former employee <laughs> who was their managing uh, counsel for a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, to be okay. clear, they bought, but it's not clear if they paid for <laughs> Okay, so I apologize. There's a man named Mr. Reynolds. He used to be the general counsel for GM Cruise, and then he left there to go work for the California Public Utilities Commission, which oversees GM Cruise. It's just weird, I know. Yeah, that's a, that's still kind of an odd thing here. Uh, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> 
that's what public utilities commissions around uh, the the country seem. To, it doesn't seem to be unique to California where this type of thing happens. From from what I've learned since then, so maybe that's something that Congress should address. That would be good, or just legislators in general. But California seems to be a little weird when it comes to these vehicles. Uh, well, they're following the NHTSA model, really, because if you think uh, a lot of the a lot of the officers in NHTSA have also come from the automobile industry. And the argument is always that, oh, people with experience in the automobile industry should be put into positions to regulate the automobile industry. It's too sophisticated for anybody else to do it. Uh, maybe that, you know, I don't think that that's true myself, but apparently a lot of the legislators do. Hmm. It's like, who was the, uh, the, the head of the U.S. Treasury for a while? Wasn't he a former uh, head of a bank? And then he's like, hey, the economy tanked. Let's throw a bunch of money to the banks. Jamie oh, Hank Paulson. Hank Paulson, that guy? Don't know. Anyway, getting off topic here. Uh, Way sticking, off topic. I know. Sticking to California <laughs> here. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed legislation this past week that required safety drivers in autonomous trucks. And uh, in his veto message to lawmakers, tucked in the bottom of a Friday night press release, Newsom said the bill is not needed. The bill that would require safety drivers inside uh, robo 18 wheelers and suggested that concerns about jobs as well as safety are best addressed by regulators, not legislation. I can't even say this stuff with a straight face. Come on, man. Like he's basically saying uh, it's not my job. Uh, that's somebody else's gig. And uh, in California, who points those regulators? Would that yeah, be the it's, governor? It's a little troubling. I mean, they they literally vetoed this bill because they are to lose it. Not because, it's, not because it didn't protect safety. They didn't even discuss safety. It was all about jobs and investments, which is a little scary when you see, you know, a bill passed in California and going to the governor vetoed based solely on that purpose when it's something that impacts safety. And, you know, I think we wanted this bill to extend to vehicles under 10,000 pounds uh, that would include robo taxis and some other things because we just don't think they're ready for prime time without a, sa a, a trained safety driver. Um, so that was a disappointment from the governor. Um, hopefully he won't disappoint us even more by um, passing and signing this law that attacks the California lemon law either. Okay, fill us in on the when lemon he talks law. About, when he talks about regulators, are these the same people who regulated the AVs in San Francisco? Do you know? Is uh, it the PUC again, or is it a different group? Uh, no, he just vaguely said uh, regulators. It's better handled by regulators instead of legislators. And yeah, which in, which in California would be the DMV and the California D Public Utilities Commission, both of which are involved. And who appoints those people in those? Would that, be, would that be the governor here? Wait a second. This is some. Hmm. So, Michael, you mentioned briefly the California Lemon Law. Fill us in. Yeah, we mentioned it last week where they're increasing the limit on um, claims that will be directed into this special jurisdiction court in California, the courts of limited jurisdiction. And they're increasing the limit from twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollars, which brings in a lot of 
car buyers in that segment, uh, particularly lower lower cost models. And we're really concerned that the ultimate result of this bill that went through the California legislature is going to be to, you know, basically create two classes of car owners, those who can, you know, pursue lemon law claims when their car screws up. And then those who are not able to get into the court where or it's possible to do the discovery and the other, you know, important things that need to be done to prove a lemon law case. So we're hoping that um, the governor vetoes this one as well, even though his other veto didn't go our way. This one's one where it's needed to protect um, primarily lower income car buyers. So, Gavin, you hear that, Gavin? You do the right thing on this one or else Mike will be mad. Yeah, and, and we put an action out. alert on our website this week. It's SB 71 to let consumers know what they can do um, to oppose the governor signing the bill. And, you know, basically write him a letter, tell him about your lemon law experience or your bad car experience and, you know, how you would be impacted by raising the limit here. They could have easily exempted the lemon law from this bill and they decided not to. And guess why? Because the Alliance of, of Automotive Innovation and, you know, a, a bunch of uh, debt collectors uh, decided to push the bill and they support it. So you, you automatically know the bill's probably not that great when you see that those are the two main supporters of it. So <laughs> we're urging consumers to to take a look at that one if you're in California. Yeah, no one ever <laughs> came out smelling squeaky clean being on the side of debt collectors. Uh, hey, listener, have you gone to autosafety.org and clicked on donate? No? Wait, Why? Oh, you have? Okay, grab your, go into your, your friend's pocketbook and take their credit card and donate on their behalf. I don't know if we're actually advising that. Keep in mind, everything coming out of my mouth is not approved by the Center for Auto Safety. It is generally pure nonsense. Most isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, get an update on right to repair laws. We've talked about this a few times. Uh, Massachusetts passed a right to repair law and a quick recap for our listeners this was to allow independent auto body and car repair services to access your computer data inside the car and hey help fix things uh and so this article in msn we have a link to it starts off with an auto industry group said on friday car makers do not plan to immediately comply with a massachusetts law requiring them to share vehicle data with independent repair shops citing concerns about potential hacking Wait, well, so a law was passed and they're just like, nah, is this what is this? Am I reading this correctly? Well, the first law was passed by it was a referendum and it was the right to repair referendum that went through Massachusetts, put the law into play. Um, when it came almost time to enforce the law, NHTSA came in and said, whoa, whoa, this this is going to be preempted because you basically you can't have long range range wireless communications of of uh, basically you can't be able to this would allow people to take over vehicles uh, from long distance. Uh, there's a security issue there. And that's one reason the manufacturers were saying, you know, it's going to be unsafe if, if this type of thing goes through the long range wireless. What Massachusetts and, and what NHTSA came back, Massachusetts kind of resisted. They all talked. NHTSA came back a few months later, I believe it was in August, and said, okay, okay, you know, your law is not preempted, 
But we have to figure out a way to do this using short range communications. Essentially, you know, if you pull your car to the shop, the the shop owner can then look at your vehicle diagnostic data using some sort of Bluetooth interface or something that operates in a local area, but doesn't allow for outside security uh, issues to happen from miles away. Um, and now, the menu, after all that happened, manufacturers are saying, well, that's great, but, you know, we're not going to be able to comply with this right now. I mean, they're not making vehicles that comply with it and getting probably getting the parts and the designs for the parts that they're going to need to go into vehicles to enable this type of communication um, would take them, God, a year or two minimum, I think. They, they, they have to plan things out pretty far in advance to get them into vehicles. So it's... It's going to be interesting to continue to follow this, especially because now Maine is on the referendum in November has got a very similar law. Uh, I think it's almost identical to the Massachusetts law. Um, so we're starting to see a movement pick up to have the Massachusetts law, you know, move across America. No other states are really pursuing that type of legislation right now. So I'll be interested to see if there are not federal right to repair laws that are pushed in the future by industry um, to kind of counteract this movement amongst the states and to get a, you know, one national standard that applies here. Um, but it's certainly something to follow. And it's it's impacted a lot, you know, even drivers. I think some drivers didn't have certain crash avoidance features enabled in Massachusetts because, you know, Subaru, I believe it was, was resisting one of these, uh, was resisting this law and saying we basically can't comply with that law. Um, so it's difficult. We hope they all work it out for this for the benefit of Massachusetts drivers like Fred. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, we, we, we want more states to pick up on the idea and, and maybe look at a federal right to repair if that can be done in a fair manner. Okay, so you're, other, I'm sorry, Anthony. The, the article also said that these people are negotiating with the Attorney General of Massachusetts. Now, I, I guess I'm naive, but I always thought negotiations with law enforcement occurred in a courtroom. How does <laughs> how does this work? I'm going to try it the next time I'm pulled over. I'm sorry, I can't comply with that law. Um, <laughs> let's negotiate. Yeah. I'd like to negotiate this speeding ticket, please. <laughs> yeah. That'll go far. Yeah, I would suggest that attorneys general of many states play, you know, part of their role is law enforcement, but a lot of it is is political. And that's what you're seeing there. <laughs> okay, is that All your right, campaign well, slogan? You for that. <laughs> uh okay. Uh this week let's move on to the uh the the Tao of Fred. And this week, uh this one was prompted by a news story um about a failure with Google Maps. It's a sad and interesting story where it was a uh, there's a family that's suing google because the followed the google map directions and it led somebody off of a bridge that no longer existed uh there's a whole bunch of interesting things to this case it was happening at night i believe it was low visibility there was no markings on the road saying hey this bridge doesn't exist the local people in the area like they had submitted to google repeatedly over the years saying remove this from your system uh because this is dangerous uh so what prompted this that's what prompted this week's towel fred and it's hey fred how do these map things work 
And is it possible that Google is uh, sending me down one road so it's faster for their employees on another road? Okay, maybe <laughs> not that part, but I suspect that happens at times. You've now entered the Dow Just leaving an interval here for your intro, Anthony. Oh, I no, I got to edit out your... respect for your yeah. production. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, so here's how the phone GPS works. So there's really three steps. The first is that somebody has to identify the location of a reference point. Um, that could be a road or a geographical feature, could be a bridge. But normally what happens is that there's there are devices that can be put into your car that you can use to drive around and identify routers that are not suitably protected and identify their location. The uh, location, the identity of these routers then goes into a database somewhere. Um, there are also what are called beacons that are installed by software manufacturers into a lot of devices. Uh, these are beacons are kind of like electronic ticks. They suck a little bit of electricity out of you with out of your system without permission, and they broadcast um, some information about exactly where you're located. I'm pretty and, sure I was in a relationship like that once. Yeah, yeah. There, so those are beacons. There, there are landmarks. So we're given the information that's available using satellite information, uh, pictorial information, also uh, the kind of information picked up by those little cars with the cameras that are roaming the streets for Google Maps purposes. Um, they can identify the location of landmarks and then cell towers. Uh, they know where the cell towers are. Each one's individually identified. And of course, the satellites overhead, the GPS and GNNS, GLONASS, Galileo, QZSS, and uh, Beidou systems all provide additional information about the location. So the, the world gets mapped using these devices, and all that information exists in a database, so in a database somewhere, which is the second step. The second step is to take these information and put it into a database that's accessible to essentially everybody, but also to your car uh, when it's driving down the road or to your, to your phone more properly when it's driving down the road. And it references these other databases. It picks them up, picks up signals itself. And then the computer cross-references these to the information in the database to figure out exactly where you are using a process called triangulation. I don't know if you know what that term means, but basically if you know where you are relative to one reference and you draw a circle around that reference, um, you can figure out how far away from the reference you are. But that's a circle. So if you have two references, you draw a circle around that other reference at the appropriate distance and then you can identify a line between them that somewhere in that line is where you're located. But if you have three references and you draw three circles, basically those circles intersect and that gives you a pretty good location of where the phone is located at that moment. Um, the accuracy depends upon the kind of information it's got and what's built into your phone. But that's the basic system, the, the references all generate virtual circles in your phone, identifies where the phone is. That information is then sent back to the server, which generates a map 
that it sends out to your phone and then you see where you are on that map based on the information it's interpreted. Uh, it's pretty sophisticated stuff. So inside of your phone, I just looked at the iPhone 15. It's looking at uh, the US GNSS system, which is a system of satellites overhead. GLONASS, which is the Russian equivalent system. It operates at a little bit higher altitude. These are all kind of uh, 10,000, 11,000 miles above the Earth. Uh, Galileo system is a European equivalent because when GPS, when the US system, GNSS, became the standard, many other countries said, well, gee, they could turn that off if we ever need the information, so we'd better establish our own. So GLONASS was established by the Russians, Galileo by the Europeans, QZSS by the Japanese, and Beidou by the Chinese. iPhone 15 takes advantage of all of these. Um, generates a digital compass. There's also the Wi-Fi locations based on the references it's got, cellular towers and the beacons. So taking all this information, putting it together, Again, they generate a map that shows up in your phone. So it's a very sophisticated set of information, but it's all reliant on the database. Uh, Android or Google does much the same thing with their operating system. Uh, they're also looking at GPS and GLONASS and ALDO and all those other things. Um, accuracy so does, that they... Go ahead. Sorry. It, so it does all of this stuff too. Um, but it, with the GPS, but they also have the cars driving around mapping roads and whatnot. Right. So, okay. Right. Because uh, they, because when they put that road information in, they also put it in with geographic references. And so the, the reference information on your phone is much less accurate than the reference information that these cars have got because they've got very fancy GPS receivers and GLONASS receivers and GNSS and, and what have you. So your phone can identify where you are using satellite references to maybe a meter within a meter or two, something like that. But the very sophisticated receivers can identify the location of uh, the vehicle or the antenna that's recording it down to something like maybe 30 centimeters or maybe even less. 30 centimeters is about, what, four inches, something like that. So um, it can then tag that information, that accurate, the cars going around mapping things can tag that information to certain geographic references. Like, you know, if there's a statue, it knows where the statue is. And if the camera on your phone picks up that camera on your phone or the camera in your car picks up that same statue, for example, it can use that as a reference. Um, that's not the primary references that they use, probably, but but it you know it provides additional information. And the more information your phone is interpreting, the better the location identification is going to be. So um, how how do the, with all this data part of this? How are they still getting things wrong? Now, there's a, a, a more humorous example of the story that kicked this off. There's it, it's happened a number of times where people are you know, following these maps and they're driving off of boat launches, yeah. which is, you know, people survive, they're fine. It's, that's hilarious. But um, uh, like, how are they getting things that wrong? I had an example where Google Maps not too long ago was having me, it wanted me to go the wrong way down Fifth Avenue. 
And I was like, hey, look, maybe I made too many jokes about your stuff and you're just trying to off me. Um, <laughs> but I did not I did not make the right turn heading north up Fifth Avenue. Like, so the, the answer to that is who is responsible for putting this information into the database? There's probably nobody at Google who is being paid to identify bridges that are have collapsed. There's probably nobody there being paid to identify boat ramps that are inappropriately mapped. So when you're using this system on your car, you can often punch a button that says, you know, uh, do you want to update the information? Do you want to identify a problem? These buttons exist on your cars, but unless and until somebody takes the trouble to put this hazardous information into the phone or into the database, I should say, it's not going to show up on the map. It's not going to show up on the phone. So again, that, you know, that's a problem we've been talking about, which is that with the automatic systems and safety critical systems in vehicles, um, there is nobody who's monitoring the status of those systems to say that they're operating the way they should. The same thing is true with the maps that are being offered by uh, Apple and Google and everybody else who is offering a map on your phone. There's really no regulation that says this has to be done. There's no allocation of funds for people to say, identify all the bridges that are not working, identify all the work sites that are popping up. Uh, so it's a really ad hoc process. And apparently, according to these uh, these uh, uh, systems you've identified or these incidents you've identified, it's not adequate. It's not up to the task yet. I've had similar things happen to me, although not not as catastrophic, of course, but run down roads that really didn't exist and um, been sent around in circles by some of the systems. So, yeah, they're very imperfect systems. And uh, I think people, our listeners in particular, ought to be very careful about their reliance on the automated systems in the vehicles. And don't relax just because your car says it's driving itself because it's not and there's no... You know, it's it's doing what it can do, but there's nobody saying that it has to do any certain thing. So awesome. it's up to you. We should all be our own very own safety driver. I ah. think so. I think that's good. Yes. All right. And I think the law reflects that too. That you know, there you're not exempted from vigilance just because you have automated features in your car. Well, I don't know if you visited San Francisco. I'm not sure if that's still true. I don't live in San Francisco. I'm on the <laughs> other side. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Michael, can you get us up to speed on this case? Like, so the the family's suing Google for this issue. Like, is it's it's a it's fascinating because you know the the kind of layman approach to this would be like, hey, why weren't you paying attention? You drove off. Like, you can't listen to this machine. But it seems like there's actually some potential liability here. The main potential liability in this instance is that Michael put himself on mute. Well, if he puts himself on the, mute during uh, the towel of Fred's because he's singing in the background. I wish I could just send everyone. He does his whole dance routine. It's very upsetting. Sorry. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> um, if you look at the, you know, it was a very dark kind of uh, semi-residential road and in, in the woods. So it's a very dark road. So it'd, it'd be really... If, you know, if, if Google Maps is telling you, hey, there's a road ahead and you're driving, it you might not have seen the gap in the road. There were still the formations of a bridge there, but it was partially um, collapsed. So 
it's tough. And if you're driving at certain speeds, you're not going to have time to react before you before you go off of it. So there's certainly, I mean, certainly some issues there. Why the county or someone didn't have it marked? Why it wasn't maintained or the road closed in a way where vehicle access was prohibited is a question. But um, you know, there's. When there's a, you know, a years long history of reporting a safety problem to Google and, you know, they are, you know, they're not just a roadmap. They're, they are actively navigating drivers from point A to point B. They have a duty, I believe, to update their maps, um, especially when they've been notified to a hazard of this extent you know a bridge is out someone can fall in the water and drown amazingly it didn't happen for i believe the bridge went out in 2013 and this crash was in 22 so for nine years the bridge was out and nothing like this happened um so it's you know it's a it's a really sad case but i i you know, I would suggest that Google ha needs to do a better job of updating its maps if it wants people to rely on it to navigate them from point A to point B. Well, I know there's a mechanism that exists for them to do it because when the main road to which my little retreat uh, abuts was being repaved over the last couple of months, they identified it as a road that was under repair. They would not provide directions to or from my house because directions to or from my house transited this road that was under repair. So it, it seems clear to me that they have the technical means of doing this. Somehow there's got to be authorities putting the correct information into the system so that people are notified. Um, so, you know, I think the fault may lie with the Google Maps, but I think there's a lot of blame to go around. Are you uh, suggesting seems, there ought to be a law? Piggly wiggly. I think it's uh, time for some recall roundup. How's that sound? Hey, listeners, can you guess what the first recall we're going to talk about is? Mm. Oh, it's not the Ford Edsel. Did Ford make the Edsel? Yeah, it was the Edsel. Yes, named, after, named after Edsel Ford. Not very uh, long. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully just like the GM. It kind of looked slightly better than the cruise origin does. Uh, anyway first recalls about rear view camera image may not display this is kia america uh 83,000 plus vehicles they're recalling certain 2019 sorrento vehicles uh which sounds like a very tasty dish due to a manufacturer error water may leak into the rear view camera which can cause the rear view camera image not to appear on the display as such these vehicles fail to comply with the requirements of federal motor vehicle safety standard number what michael come on what what's the number this is 111. Oh, he wins. Look at that. That is true. Uh, you can go to your dealer. They'll inspect the harness and repair it for you. Why? Why with all of these rear view cameras? Like this is. Well, this is another one of those. You know, we when we first started seeing this as a problem, you know, my initial sus suspicion was that it was a, you know, going to be software issues problems with interfacing with the infotainment system because usually they display in the same right. and we've seen that and we've seen a lot of non-compliances involving that but we've also seen a lot of you know it's almost like they jerry-rig these things into cars these weird wiring configurations where you're you're exposing wiring harnesses to water it's like they were putting them into cars that hadn't been designed for use with rear view cameras so you know it seems like a fairly simple 
process to get these things installed correctly compared to a lot of other things that, that are going on with cars. So we're still a little, you know, I guess, confused as to why every week we're seeing a, a recall on rear view cameras. It's kind of disconcerting to get, you know, when you see a standard like this, which has saved so many lives and in, in, in rear collisions and driveways and in other areas, primarily children, um, and, and then you, you, you see it go through Congress and finally get passed and required on vehicles, and then the product that they're putting on the streets is crap and is getting recalled all the time, it, it doesn't make you feel very fuzzy inside. No, it could also be that everything on the car is crapping out at the same rate. But just this is noticeable because it's a video and people notice when it's not working. So, you know, this, I, I think that that should alert people, uh, in particular the manufacturers, to do a better job of monitoring the safety systems that they're building into the cars to make sure that they are operating properly and notifying people when they're not. Hmm. And listeners, if you're not feeling fuzzy inside, please consume more fiber. Uh, next recall is, uh, oh, Kia wins again. Uh, loss of drive power from fuel pump failure. A lot of fuel pump issues too run across, not as much as rear view cameras. Uh, Kia is recalling certain 2018 to 2021 stinger vehicles. Oh, they're tough. Uh, the fuel, fuel control valve plunger may stick inside the high pressure fuel pump, causing overpressurization and loss of drive power. I think that happened inside my toilet tank once. This is uh, 18,000 plus vehicles. And they've been looking into this for a while. It looks like um, initially Kia was unable to find a loss of motive power in the complaints, but which is really a key here because um, you rarely see NHTSA dig in and, 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 and want to get a recall when there's not on a fuel pump issue where there's some kind of hesitation or... Um, until you see stalling or loss of motive power, that's where the safety issues kind of kick in because you're talking about vehicles stopping in the middle of intersections, uh, stopping in the middle of the highway, that sort of thing that increases the danger. So um, it looks like this one's going to be solved through <coughs> an inspection and replacing the full fuel pump if there's a problem. But also it looks like they're going to be doing some type of software um fix as well so uh that should be coming out in the next month i think november 7th early november is when owner owner notification will begin so be on the lookout for that well overpressurization in a fuel pump is an interesting failure mode because that generally causes fuel to leak so i i i'm puzzled by this one a little bit that overpressurization caused the fuel pump to stop delivering fuel to the engine it doesn't sound it looks right. like it leaves it stuck in an open position um which is weird anyway you know i don't know how yeah. it's a stinger maybe it's got some you know new new engine we've never heard of some new fuel tank i mean i don't i have no idea what a stinger looks like but i'm sure you know it requires you to have a, a shaved head or a mohawk to purchase hey. one What's wrong with Mohawks? Nothing's wrong with them, but I think if I went in there, I'd be like, I want this stinger. They'd be like, Nope, you're you're not tall enough to get in this vehicle, son. Like, come on, man. Ah, uh, next one. High voltage battery may short circuit. Battery failure can cause a loss of drive power, increasing the risk of a crash. Battery failure can also increase the risk of a fire. 
And to test your battery, just take it and lick it and stick it on your tongue and see if it still has power like you did when you were a little kid with 9-volt batteries. If no. your tongue can crease across both <laughs> both parts of a car battery, I mean, you should be doing something else with your life. All right. Ford Motor Company, 2,954 vehicles. Ford is recalling certain 2020 to 2022 Lincoln Aviator and Ford Explorer vehicles equipped with the equipped with a 3.0 liter plug-in hybrid engine uh, manufacturing defect defect in one or more of the high voltage battery cells may result in internal short circuit and battery failure. Possibly related to this is Ford just shut down one of their battery plants because they're like, eh, let's not do this. Um, maybe not though. Maybe it's just a coincidence. We know there's no such thing as coincidences. Uh, dealers will perform a battery engine control module diagnostic test uh, and replace your undercoating. Uh, and re- no, sorry, they'll replace the high voltage battery pack as necessary. Um, well, this one's got a folded anode tab, uh, which is basically a defect in the battery cell that they're looking for that could cause loss of power. This one does not involve fire that we can tell in the battery, but um, a loss of power. And I believe there was a there was a previous recall. Um, in May that involves some of these same vehicles and related vehicles. So yes, um, they the new recall is going to start probably early October, it looks like, under notification around October 2nd through the 6th. So everyone be on the lookout for that because you do not want to lose battery power. And, you know, if you've got one of these batteries with a folded anode, you want to get a new one in your vehicle that doesn't have that problem. Yeah, don't unfold it yourself. I have no idea what that means and if it's possible. Uh, last one we've got is a loose battery cable. Oh, more batteries. Loose battery cables may cause fire. A fire while parked or driving can increase the risk of injury. It really says this in the recall notice. A fire while parked or driving can increase the risk of injury. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, thank you for pointing that out to us. This is a uh, Chrysler 4000 plus vehicles. Chrysler is recalling certain 2023 to 2024 Alfa Romeo tunnel. Oh, I mean, come on. And 2023 to 2024 Dodge Hornet plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. Dodge Hornet and a Kia Stinger. They walk into a bar. Match There's something there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So the 12-volt bot- battery positive cable and or high-voltage connector cable may not be tightened properly because it's a Friday afternoon. And they're like, come on, we're going to watch the game. Okay. Which can cause overheat the electrical connections and result in a fire while parked or driving. Uh, park outside warning on this one. Yep. That's and, the big note on this one was the park outside warning. And um, that means that you shouldn't park in, you know, garages or anything, especially your garage, but also public parking structures and other things. So I, I want to start a business called Park Outside, where it's just big, open, paved fields. Hey, you got one of these cars? Park outside. The parking spaces are each like 500 yards long because that's. That's in a wide circumference radius. I think that could be something. Or it could be. It's just going to take up a lot more space. And we already know that parking is parking and housing are fighting in cities right now. So why are you crushing my dreams? Well, you know, you should know these things. You live in the big <laughs> city. Uh, so it looks like this one. They're uh, what's they're the gonna solution here? Bring your car in and make sure those nuts and bolts are tightened. This one's a pretty simple fix. Okay. Uh, which I don't know why it's taking them a month to get it going, but 
they have yeah. reasons, I'm sure. That happens. But do if you have one of these affected vehicles, do get it do get it done because your car is probably better off if it does not set itself on fire. <laughs> uh and that's from the chief engineer here. <laughs> <laughs> These are words to live by. Don't let your car get on fire. I've done analysis on that. Yeah, it's just, it works out every time. Okay. Next week, you'll discuss the math on that. And uh, for that, listeners, that's the end of our time for this week. Next week, we're going to cover a story uh, that we didn't get to this week about, uh, where did it go? I lost the link. It's about bicycles and road safety. We're going we're to cover that one next week. It's a good one. Uh, so, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for donating. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.